If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, this is going to be really weird. <laughs> it's going to sound weird. Yep. Uh, we're doing the best we can. How, how is it we get stranded everywhere we go? I think it's it has to be because of the amount that we travel. It's just got to be a numbers game at this point. We're still in Charlotte, yeah. and we were supposed to be home yesterday, but uh, there were severe thunderstorms, so we can't get out of Charlotte until Tuesday. And we had an episode to do. So here we are doing an episode for you in our hotel room in downtown Charlotte on our iPhones. So you're probably going to hear some traffic noise and maybe housekeeping. I don't know what to expect, really. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Did want to start by saying, uh, well, let, letting you know the good news about Kat's boob. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> I'm glad that you want to start out that way. <laughs> I do. It's good news. Go ahead. Well, we've had so many questions and emails and words of support for Kat. And uh, she got the news a day or two ago that everything's fine. And uh, we just have to kind of keep an eye on it. But I always keep an eye on your boobs anyway. That's sweetie, enough, so. I think. Well, I'm a helpful guy. But we really do appreciate all the support. Uh, over the last couple of weeks. So thank you so much for those of you who uh, send emails and uh, messages. And money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, someone sent me $19 so I could get lunch. Aww. I thought that was kind of nice. All right, so here's my story for you. Okay. It was the mid-1990s. It's so weird that I can't look at you while we're doing this. I'm crouched under the bed right now. A Stanford graduate, a woman named Sandra Boss, was working on her master's at Harvard, uh, her post-doctorate or postgraduate work. Her sister introduced her to a charming man. His name was Clark Rockefeller, and uh, he was descended from the famous business family. He was always impeccably dressed. He wore expensive clothing. He collected uh, art. He had quite a collection, in fact, and he lived in an upscale New York apartment. 
So Boss fell in love with him. She thought he was very charming. They got married and uh, they had a child. They spent 11 years together. They had a pretty nice life, pretty stable. Thanks in large part to Boss's job. She was a consultant and had a certain degree of wealth of her own. Their daughter, they named Rye Storo Mills Rockefeller, and they called her Snooks. That was her nickname. That's cute. She was born in 2001, but their marriage soon began to fall apart. Uh, Rockefeller was the stay-at-home dad. He didn't uh, hesitate to spend you know, as much money as he wanted, including his wife's money. His stories also about his life prior to them were inconsistent, and she became a little bit suspicious. Uh-oh. He had insisted several times that they move at last minute. Uh, this, I think, probably raised some red flags for her. So she served him with divorce papers in the year 2007. And since he was a stay-at-home mom and his background was a little... They couldn't really verify much. Boss was awarded full custody of their daughter. In 2008... Rockefeller was uh, with their daughter on one of his court-mandated, court-approved visitations, and they were walking through Boston Commons. Rockefeller disappeared with his daughter. Investigators attempted to track down Rockefeller and his daughter, but the deeper they dug into his life, they uncovered more questions than answers. He didn't have a social security card. Nor did he have any credit cards or a driver's license in his own name. Oh my gosh, that must have been terrifying. I could only imagine. So when they started showing his picture on the news and asking for leads, people started calling in and saying, no, Clark Rockefeller is not his name. But they came up with four different names. Oh man. So at this point, they were confused, to say the least. So Rockefeller, or whoever the hell he was, took his daughter, Snooks. They made an, an escape in a limo, and uh, he was dropped off at Boston Sailing Center, where a friend drove he and Snooks to New York City. He leapt from the vehicle, and that was the last time that they were seen for quite a while. He ended up in Maryland. He purchased for $400,000 a carriage house near the water. But the agent who sold him the carriage house recognized his face from news reports. And he contacted the Baltimore Police Department. They, They staked out his house. They discovered that he was storing a yacht in the Baltimore Marina. So what they did is they called up the uh, the harbor master and they asked him to call Rockefeller and tell him that his boat was taking on water to kind of flush him out of the house. Mm-hmm. And so they waited outside of his house and sure enough, he came running out the front door and they tackled him and immediately put him under arrest. Snooks is okay? Snooks was fine. Okay. So they contacted the Rockefeller family to verify who he was, or at least try to. And they said, uh, quote, under no circumstances is there a link to this man. We are not connected. So who the hell was this guy? Wow. They didn't know his true identity. It wasn't revealed until they found a wine glass with some of his fingerprints on it. And they discovered that uh, he his fingerprints connected him to a number of identities, including one that was suspected of possible murder. He was not a Rockefeller, but a German man in his late 40s, and his name was Christian 
Gerhard Schreider. And for three decades, he claimed to be someone other than himself. He posed as a British baron, a cardiologist in Las Vegas, a Hollywood producer, a bond broker in New York, and finally a member of the Rockefeller family. Wow, that is ballsy. Yeah, this went on for three decades. I mean, if I was going to take on another personhood, I would have to be like some rando working in a bar in Wisconsin or something. <laughs> like, I, there's no way. He came up with some pretty high-profile aliases. Exactly. He grew up in a small West German town and was obsessed with coming to America. He wanted to make it big in America. When he was 17 years old, he was on a train and he was talking with a, a young backpacker. And the kid said to him, hey, listen, uh, here's my address in Connecticut. If you ever come to Connecticut, uh, stop by and, and maybe you can spend, spend the night or something. Well, that was a mistake because a few weeks later, this guy shows up at the young man's house in Connecticut and ended up staying there for months. Oh, wow. Gerhard Schreiter proved to be a very difficult and troublesome house guest. He used to make fun of the family. There, he's staying there for free, and he insulted their taste in furniture and clothing. And um, they finally threw him out when they asked him to get up off the couch to answer the door, and uh, he refused. So they, they kicked him out. And when they did, he moved to Wisconsin, enrolled in the university there under the name Chris Kenneth Gerhardt. He studied at the university. While he was there, he had a quick overnight marriage. He just married somebody spontaneously, and then sought a divorce immediately immediately after, which gave him his green card. Uh-huh. After that, he disappeared from the university. He next shows up in California. His name is now Christopher Chichester, and uh, he hung out at social clubs, and he would go to rich people's weddings, just crash them, in order to ingratiate himself with uh, upper-crust people. He took advantage of their wealthy lifestyles. He would seek out rich widows. Right. Well, plus great hors d'oeuvres. Always about the hors d'oeuvres. You know it. He told them that he was from a royal British family. He even carried around like a, a coat of arms that he said was his family motto. He created his own public access talk show and he posed as a, US, a USC graduate and he conned his way into some high-end Los Angeles parties, even parties where Spielberg and uh, George Lucas were. He lived in this guest house in San Marino, California. And um, the couple that lived there mysteriously disappeared. Uh-oh. After the disappearance, he disappeared. He fled to Connecticut in the victim's truck. It wasn't until 1994 that a company digging up a swimming pool in the area discovered the remains. So he goes to Connecticut, gets a job working for a computer company. While he was there, he started talking with uh, Wall Street traders, and he bragged about his life growing up in Paris and how he had a background in finance. And pretty soon he was hired at a couple of different New York stock firms. But he was fired after they did a background check on, a, on the social security number he gave. Um, it was actually the social, social security number of David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer. Oh, my goodness. I think I would have chosen somebody less high profile. <laughs> at least there was a, I don't know, a sense of humor there. This is the time that he met Sandra Boss. At the time, he said he worked at a company called Asterisk LLP, which it was supposedly a company that helped developing countries restructure their debt. But the reality was he was just running around New York, uh, rubbing elbows with rich people, hanging out at clubs and uh, 
and fancy restaurants. He actually was the head of the Algonquin Club for a while. He had talked his way into that position. So after the five-day manhunt for him, after he kidnapped his daughter, he had already changed his identity again to a guy named Chip Smith. Chip. Chip. But that didn't last long. The owner of the uh, carriage house, as I said, notified law enforcement, and he was taken into custody. He was convicted of kidnapping his daughter as well as the murder in San Marino, California. He's serving a sentence of 27 years to life in prison, five aliases, over 30 years. What was his real background? Who really was this guy? He was born in Bergen, Germany. His family claimed that he never fit in during his time there. As a boy, he was he was thin, he was short, and he lived a life of fantasy. He loved fantasy. Dad was an artist, his mom was a seamstress. A family friend told some reporters that, quote, he was like Batman, always going into different roles. He had all these wild ideas. By the time he took his daughter, he kidnapped his daughter, none of his family or friends of his in Germany had heard from him in over 30 years. Wow, that's dedication. So what was his inspiration for his characters that he adopted, his aliases and their backstories? Once he moved to the United States from Germany, he started watching television and he became obsessed with Gilligan's Island. And he was modeling himself after Thurston Howell III, a character on the show. <sighs> this dude even changed his appearance while in the U.S. He, he dressed like Thurston Howell III and he even tried to talk like him as well. With a uh, underbite, a little bit of an underbite there. Oh, so that's right, love it. And apparently he was very, uh, very good at mimicking Thurston Howell III's speech patterns. Just uh, not a very good kidnapper. Thank goodness. My information came from Ranker, from NPR, and Wikipedia, Christopher Gerhardt Streiter, also known as a whole bunch of other people, <laughs> but, but wanted to be Thurston Howell III. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, 
If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Well, it's a well-known fact that the U.S. Army uses robots to remove explosives and mines and to disarm weapons. This, of course, is to ensure the safety of the soldiers. However, the Army wasn't expecting this. Some soldiers have grown so attached to their robots that there have been several incidents where soldiers have risked their lives to protect them. Going through some emails that we got while we were on the road, and uh, I wanted to share this one with you. This is hilarious. It comes from David, who had just listened to the episode about some of the stranger things involving Napoleon Bonaparte. (laughs) He said, wait, you were discussing Napoleon's penis and you didn't call it Napoleon's boner part? Oh, my gosh. Shame on you. What a missed opportunity. Be well, Cat. he says. Aww. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've let everybody down. So. Yeah, I feel like a real boner. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
and you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Box of Oddities. The question is, why? What you got for me this time around? Beaufort's Dyke made headlines when Prime Minister Boris Johnson revived a plan to build a road bridge between Scotland and Northern Ireland. The Irish Sea Bridge, sometimes the Celtic Crossing by the media, is a proposed rail and road bridge that would span the Irish Sea and connect the island of Ireland to the island of Great Britain. And one proposed route for the bridge from Larne on the east coast of County Antrim to Port Patrick and Dumfries and Galloway would pass directly over the Beaufort's Dyke. It was determined that probably it's not feasible uh, due to all the bombs. Bombs. <laughs> on October 6, 1995, at Salt on the Firth of Clyde, phosphorus bombs were found washed up on the shore. The Firth of Clyde is the mouth of the River Clyde, and it's located on the west coast of Scotland and constitutes the deepest coastal waters in the British Isles. So after these phosphorus bombs were found washed up on shore, every day for about two weeks, Army bombs disposal teams picked up hundreds of bombs along the length of the coastline and nearby islands. Over the course of a month in 1995, more than 4,500 incendiary bombs from the Second World War washed up on beaches around the west coast of Scotland. Oh, man. And, And if they're from the Second World War, you have to be concerned that they're not stable. Absolutely. And the phosphorus bombs were surfacing coincided with the laying of the Scotland-Northern Ireland pipeline, which was a gas interconnector constructed by British gas. Now, white phosphorus is pyrophoric. It's ignited by contact with air and it burns fiercely. Four-year-old Gordon picked one up while playing in his uncle's garden near Campbelltown. It burned his hand and leg and made his clothes smoke. But previous to that, anti-tank grenades had washed up on the shores of Northern Ireland and the Isle of Man. Where are these things coming from? Environmentalists suspected that the government had dumped these weapons, these bombs, into the ocean. They were labeled as scaremongers. But was radioactive waste deposited in Beaufort Dyke? Well, Buford Dyke is a submerged tunnel valley. It was caused by glacial erosion during the last glacial period, and it's been prevented from filling with sediment by strong tidal currents. It's a natural trench, 50 kilometers long, 3.5 kilometers wide, and 200 to 300 meters deep. In the 90s, secret official papers between the Scottish Office and the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, dating back to the 1950s, were suddenly rediscovered. And, oh yeah, uh, we got to tell you about these bombs, I guess. (laughs) Sounds like they're going off outside on the street as we're recording. (laughs) I know. 
The ministry dumped some 14,000 tons of five-inch artillery rockets filled with poisonous phosgene gas in the trench between July and October 1945. Over the following three years, it consigned 135,000 tons of conventional munitions there, and every year into the late 1950s, another 20,000 tons ended up in the dike. Now, when you say consigned, you mean just uh, dumped, dumped all nimbly bimbly? Just dumped. Okay. By the early 1970s, the discharges had reduced to about 3,000 tons a year, says the Ministry of Defense. And in most cases, the dumped munitions were defused. Most. Most. Oh, yeah, not all. No. Did they clearly mark the ones they did not defuse? Nothing was marked. Oh, God. British Geological Survey work done at the dump site confirmed that explosions generated by degrading munitions are a relatively frequent occurrence. The Dear Jones report found that at least one of these explosions was observed to have generated an explosive force equivalent to around 5.5 tons of TNT. Holy shit. But remember when I said in and around the trench? Two seamen who sailed on dumping expeditions in the 1940s have said that in poor weather, the ships just wouldn't go all the way out, and they discharged their cargoes no more than a few hundred meters offshore. Oh, shit. And the MOD thinks the area of Beaufort's Dyke was probably used before 1945, possibly as early as 1920. So, you know, just nearly 100 years of dumping munitions off the coast. But Buford's Dyke is hardly the only place where this is happening. Statements from the MOD also revealed that between 1945 and 1957, it scuttled 24 ships packed with 137,000 tons of chemical weapons at two sites in the Atlantic. That scares the shit out of me. One is southwest of Land's End, but the other is a large area northwest of Northern Ireland and southeast of Rockall Deep. Eight of the ships are sitting at depths of less than 2,000 meters, and the shallowest is in 500 meters of water. Both sites are also home to thousands of tons of radioactive waste from Britain's nuclear program. In 1995, the Armed Forces Minister Nicholas Soames told Parliament that the material dumped in the Atlantic includes 17,000 tons of captured German bombs filled with nerve gas. How do they get away with this? I don't know. The scientists at the Marine Laboratory in Aberdeen say that another nerve gas, sarin, together with phosgene, tear gas, and mustard gas, have also been dumped. And you get mad at me for spitting my gum in the yard. I don't like it because birds can eat it and it's dangerous. In 2005, a clam dredging operation off the coast of New Jersey in the U.S. pulled up an old artillery shell. The long-submerged World War I-era explosive was filled with a black tar-like substance. It was mustard gas in solid form. Three technicians were injured. And the U.S. Army admits that it secretly dumped 64 million pounds of nerve and mustard gas agent into the sea. Oh, okay. So so we got in on it, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Along with 400,000 chemical-filled bombs, landmines, and rockets, and more than 500 tons of radioactive waste, either tossed overboard or packed into holds of scuttled vessels. The dump sites are concealed off the coast of at least 11 states. Six on the East Coast, two on the Gulf Coast, California, Hawaii, and Alaska. Few of the states have been informed of their existence. (laughs) 
The Army has put only one of the 26 known chemical weapons dump sites on nautical charts. This is according to the NOAA. And William Brankowitz, a deputy project manager in the U.S. Army Chemical Materials Agency, a leading authority on the Army's chemical weapons dumping, says, We do not claim to know where they all are. (laughs) Okay. As long as we know where some are, that's enough. Yeah. I mean, we can't, can't keep track of all of our weapons waste dump sites in the ocean. I got most of my information from the Scotsman, from Irish Times, Los Angeles Times, and New Science. That is, uh, that is terrifying. Isn't it? So do we know, do we have any idea, any rough estimate as to the sheer tonnage of abandoned weaponry and or radioactive materials? No, I mean, I only talked about this couple in the States and then off the coast of the UK. I mean, I'm sure (laughs) they are far from unique. So I'd have to go by like, okay, Google Southeast Asia weapons dumping. Okay, (laughs) Google New Zealand weapons. No, I bet New Zealand would never do that. No, that sounds like something that they would refuse to be involved in. Right. Them and Finland. I trust them both. But that's it. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> well, this certainly has been a unique episode, has it not? Oh, man. I am so hot because I have this weird blanket over my head and it's... I. We turned the air conditioning off, too. Yeah. Which, not that it matters. No, because apparently there was some sort of a convoy taking place right outside of our hotel down on the street. Maybe in, the AC would have helped drown it out. It could have made a possible difference. I, I don't know. Anyway, I think you did great. We promise you the next episode will sound better. We're, 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 we're doing the best that we can here. We love you guys. We didn't want to miss an episode. Couldn't get the flight home in time. So Kat and Jethro coming to you live from the downtown Marriott. Or no, actually, it's Uptown. That's right. It's Uptown. They call it Uptown. Don't do it. Don't do it. I know you want to do a Bruno Mars thing. I need you to keep it inside. Stuff it way down. Don't believe me. Just watch. <clears throat> okay, I'm better. Yeah. I feel better. <laughs> We'll see you next time, you freaks. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. No person likes that. Are you just circling our hotel? What the fuck? Is it a convention? Legitimately, is there some sort of parade or convoy or something? I don't know. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. 
Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.